us this morning. Thank you for giving us this place uh, to come and just worship you. The time to come and just uh, sit with each other, be with each other, to take a pause, a moment of rest, and reflect on all that you've uh, given to us. Lord, I confess my own uh, uh, inadequacies for the task that you've called, called me today, and Lord, I pray that you would just show up and show up in a big way to craft the message that these people need to hear, and that I need to hear, that would just uh, meet the needs that uh, you've placed in our life to, to edify us, to strengthen us, and to bring us closer to you. We love you, and amen. Howdy. <laughs> My name is Brandon Sanders. I'm the uh, the Dark Rifle Chaplain, the 3rd Battalion of the 161st Infantry Regiment right here in Kent, Washington, just right over there by another big interstate because y'all got a lot of them. Uh, when Tommy asked me to uh, preach, I thought like that was very convenient because they just taught us how to read in East Texas. So I can take my skills for a test drive today. So if I stumble around, uh, they haven't really taught us how to write very well. and I couldn't figure out how the printer works, so I'm going to have to how to read my own writing. Uh, so, uh, kind of an overview of uh, what an army chaplain is. Uh, I am, by the uh, Constitution, like we're, we're the second oldest branch behind the infantry in the, in the army. Uh, the Constitution says that, hey, look, for the free exercise of religion, there has to be uh, the resident preacher that, that goes around uh, with them everywhere they go. Now, over the years, it's, it's changed. Uh, in the Civil War, uh, one of my favorite takeaways from like, kind of chaplain history was uh, <laughs> that you were allotted a, a nine-button frock coat not a button more or less, and uh, you could have your own horse uh, if you could catch it. So uh, I was really disappointed that, that that wasn't still a tradition, that we had to catch horses whenever we showed up there. Uh, but they, they, sadly, it's gone away. Um, so what I do is I basically provide pastoral care for uh, the soldiers in your community. Now, the National Guard's different, so uh, the Army has, is a big pie. There's, everyone thinks the Army, they, they, they JBLM, that's the only Army. It's actually the smallest branch. The biggest branch is actually the National Guard. These are guys that you work next to, you, uh, you hang out with, uh, you do all kinds of things. A lot of the, the kids that you might have seen in school, teach in school, pass around, they're going to join, they're going to come and, and work with me. And they're going to be infantrymen, mortarmen, doctors, all kinds of uh, stuff. And then my job is to go and take care of them. Uh, we have a kind of a unique mission that like, we take care of uh, domestic stuff as well as uh, we go overseas. So like during COVID, you saw all of our uh, rapid testing sites and we're giving out bags of rice to people and stuff like that. Uh, we did all kinds of uh, interesting uh, employment verification things. But I don't really, I wasn't part of that mission, so it was kind of interesting. Uh, and then uh, we uh, did a riot response. So whenever uh, you know all that stuff happened during the George Floyd riots, like uh, you probably like if I had my mustache still, you might actually recognize me because I ended up on TV a lot down there. <laughs> But uh, one of the big things that, that we do is we also supplement active duty. So whenever they need extra manpower, they call us, and we go somewhere. So to kind of like prep the, this sermon, I'm going to tell you a story about something that just happened to us. Like we just went to Poland. So, uh, you know, like you, everybody's, everybody's uh, very uh, conscious of Ukraine right now, right? So like say if Ukraine's right here, we're up in the Sawalki Gap in northern Poland, w- way up top. And our job was basically to stop what's happening in Ukraine from happening to, uh, to Poland and Estonia. Our job was to kind of be the, the uh, you know, guy that stands on the wall and says like, no, not here. And uh, had... We've been down in Ukraine. I'm sure they wouldn't have messed with us because who would want to mess with the dark rifles, really? You know. Um, so uh, that's me. So if I can get the slide, uh, there we go. Computers, cool. Um, 
So this is a, a, a war to Nazi ammo bunker, all right? Now, when we went to Poland, uh, whenever uh, Russians invaded uh, the Crimea, uh, Poland was like, uh-oh, this could, we could be next. We need to get as many Americans over here as we possibly can. And uh, I won't go into the details of why they, they, they wanted us there, but uh, one of the things is that we showed up with 800 guys ready to, to fight and make, make some trouble for, uh, for anybody that would make trouble for Poland. And uh, the problem was is that uh, we're a lot bigger than the Polish army, and so they just didn't have a lot of space for us. So we have like you know private stacked like cordwood in every crook and cranny in every building there, and there was no place really for uh, <laughs> for any kind of like worship services. So when I showed up there. Uh, the the other chaplain was like, hey, uh, you know, times are hard. Uh, we have this tent. I was like. Cool. I've, you know, I've preached out of uh, the back of Strikers for the past three or four years in fields and the rainforest of Washington and the deserts of Yakima. So I'm not really concerned with like four walls and a roof. That's like you know, like platinum standard you know, accommodations for us. But uh, the problem was is that like the their worship service was like going to be way it was like a, a half mile away from where all my guys stayed. And I have a theological problem with that because if you look at like Philippians two, it's like you know Jesus like shows up and says like, hey, I'm going to leave heaven and go to the people, right? So like like you see that over and over again, and we'll see it in our text this morning that that he's constantly initiating, constantly going, 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 going. And so, like, I can't in good conscience ask my guys to, hey, like, wake up and walk way out here, especially in the middle of a Polish winter, which is, shocker, it's, a, it's like, you know, renowned for killing armies, to, you know, like, you know, like, you know walk uh, all the way out there to, uh, to, go to go to church in the morning, right? So I was like, okay, well, what else do we have? And I started, like, walking around, looking and trying to find the, the uh, place where we could actually have, like, a worship service. But there was just, like, no room for the inn for uh, the Dark Rifle Chaplain. And so uh, I couldn't find any place. And then I stumbled upon this thing. And I was just like, huh, there's no lock on the door. You open it up. There's trash all in it. It's all lumpy. Like an, you ever walk through, like, an old barn? Uh, it's all kind of, like, you know, lumpy and weird and smells weird. Well, that's what that thing was. It's basically this, this derelict barn. And uh, back in World War II, they stored ammo in it. And then uh, the Poles got their land back and uh, kicked the bad guys out. And they basically never used it. And so it's it sat for... However, how many, I'm not very good with math, but a lot of years, right? And so uh, that was open. And so we'll pick that story up uh, towards the end of it. But uh, I want to, would you turn with me in your Bibles to uh, John 6. We're going to go uh, from John 6, 1 to uh, 15. I'll give you a minute. We're just going to read this thing. All right. If you would, stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Okay. So John 6, starting in verse 1, it says, After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. And now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes, then seeing a large crowd that was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him and says, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. And one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? And Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, and so that the men sat down, about five thousand in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them 
up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the barley loaves and left those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is the prophet, indeed, who has come to this world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. This is the word of the Lord. I was really nervous about that part. You can have a seat. Because, like Tommy said, I'm a Southern Baptist, and like... uh, just if you get them all in one spot together and they don't have a big fight, we're winning. So much less than certain things. Scripture being read, I'm just kind of nervous. All right, so first, I want you to, to focus on three things in this. First is the overwhelming need. Second is our woeful inadequacy. And last is God's powerful provision. So if we, we go back to verse 4, uh, we'll read it again right here. It says, Now that the Passover, the Feast of Jews, was at hand. It's during Passover there's a spiritual need. So like this has been going on for a long time and we're all you know, fairly you know, versed in, in all things uh, Bible. So we know what the Passover is. So they, like, it's this, this uh, commemoration of whenever that, uh, the angel of death had, had uh, just kind of skipped over uh, the people of Israel while they were in Egypt. That it was a sign of this, uh, this, spiritual, uh, say, say, this spiritual salvation from uh, damnation and, and uh, problems. And so that's what these people are here for. If you actually go and look at... Uh, it, Pentecost is going to come a little bit uh, later, but if you, you take uh, Luke or uh, Acts 2 and look where Luke says all these people come from, and you were actually to take a map of, of, the, of the ancient world and kind of map out where all these people had come from, they literally came from every corner of, of the world. There's a bunch of these random nations and stuff that don't exist anymore that you have to like, do a little bit of research. But it's really interesting to see that all of these Jews from the entire diaspora had come into Jerusalem, and then that's where they're at. And so these people are making their way to, uh, to Passover, and Jesus is out healing people left and right. I mean, it's kind of a pretty interesting thing to see like blind men see and, and guys that were lame walk and all this good stuff. And all of a sudden they, they see, that, hey, look, we're on the way to Jerusalem, but this guy's doing some cool stuff, so we're going to sit there and follow him. And so that's what's happening. So I want you to pay attention to the spiritual need. But then in verse 5, Jesus sees the need and calls uh, his disciples to participate in meeting that need. So in verse 5, he says, lifting up his eyes and then seeing a large crowd coming, it was toward him. Notice that he's initiating there, like we were talking about earlier. It's not that like somebody didn't say, like, hey, like, I need help or whatever else. Nobody initiated that conversation. Jesus knew, saw that, that, hey, look, these people are going to need to eat. And nobody's thinking about it. There's no conversation. Like, I'm going to step in. I'm going to meet that need. He does that for us in a lot of things uh, as we go on. Uh, Jesus said to Philip, uh, where are we to buy bread so these people may eat? Now, th- this is like one of my favorite parts of this whole story because uh, Philip is actually from Bethsaida, where, where this is actually uh, happening at. So if you look at, like, say, like my fist is Jerusalem, and the Sea of Galilee kind of sits above it, they're up here on this corner right here, all right? And that's where Philip is actually from originally. And so what Jesus is effectively doing is saying, like, hey, man, what's good around here? <laughs> and, 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 and Philip's like, are you kidding me? Like, look at all these people. There's, there's, you know, we know that there's at least five. 5,000 men. And his response is, is uh, awesome. It, it really starts to highlight our woeful inadequacy. He says that, like, hey, look, there's, you know, 200 denarii wouldn't, wouldn't uh, actually feed this. And now, John is, like, one of my favorite gospels. Probably, if I had to, like, if gun to my head, I would probably say John is probably my favorite, right? 
because there's, like, if you look at the way that the, the Gospels were kind of constructed, John is very, very intentional with trying to highlight themes and, and thematics. He puts a lot of numbers and a lot of thought. The detail is so incredi- incredibly important to it. So the fact that he cho- chose Philip, and Philip's response is like 200 and then uh, denarii. He's saying, that, like, hey man, like, a denarii was basically like your, uh, your daily wage. He's saying, like, look, I, almost a year's wages would not cover all of this, these guys for them to even have just a little bit. He's just like, like your knee, the, what you're asking me to do is not even like impossible, but it's like laughable. It'd be like, hey, Brandon, why don't you take all the money that you have and feed all of Kent for like a meal? I'd be like, okay, yeah, sure. That's not going to go very far. You know? <laughs> and uh, and that's, that's what's going on there. There's another thing. Pay attention to, I always want to try to like, in, you know, like improve your, your Bible reading. So like pay attention to uh, those numbers. That 200 really means a lot. Because if you were to, to actually start to, to like do like a, a deep dive in, into the, the number 200 that's used in Scripture, more often than not, it's usually it's used to highlight inadequacy. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, you'll always see it pop up as like, well, not even 200 of this would do, would do whatever. And you see it right here as well. It's something I always get excited about. Um, so if we look at uh, verses 8 and 9... It says, one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon, uh, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? And that's what's so cool about this, uh, about this uh, bit of scripture here is that the hero is this kid who's just like, he's like I have a Lunchable. Like, you know, that's basically what he, does, what he does. And Jesus is like, perfect. <laughs> right? Nobody does that. <laughs> uh, and and uh, kind of going back to the uh, to the details, like it, it's five barley loaves. Five is the number of completeness. And John is the, the most Jewish of, of all the, the New Testament writers. He's including that, like, you know, is it a statistic or is it a symbol? We can debate about that. But five is, like, really important. He's like, five is enough. And then the fact that it's not just five loaves, but five barley loaves. Like, details. Everything's in, in the details. Why is barley so important? It's because barley was like basically like horse feed, like it was grain. It was, and it was all, the only thing that you actually used barley for was just like either A, defeating your animals, or B, if you just didn't have enough money, you could always buy that and you could always turn it into bread. And so, like, so what he's saying is that, like, hey, look, he's got these five barley loaves, that, which is like the, the poorest of the poor, you know, being heralded by like the lowliest of the low. This random kid that's just like, like overheard them talking is just, hey, I got my sack lunch. My mom, because she's a good mom, we want to remember her Mother's Day, <laughs> uh, sent me off on the way, all right? And then you throw those two fish in there, all right? So that, that brings our number to seven. So like now you're at like the, like the perfect number. So what's John really kind of getting after there is that like, look, that inadequacy, the, the, the most that you have, that's perfect. That's exactly what God's going for. Because Jesus doesn't want you to show up and say, hey, look, like, I can fix all the problems. Like, like he's not sitting up in heaven being like, oh, let me cruise LinkedIn and try to find the perfect guy for this, whatever else. He specializes in the most broken, like, ill-fit people ever to do anything. And so he's like, okay, how do I feed all these people? Well, we need some raw goods. Like, maybe uh, like I'll call in some kind of, like, big catering service out of Bethsaida. No, he's, he's like, well, this kid with, like, this random, you know, like, a couple of saltine crackers and some sardines shoved in his pocket. Like, that's what I want. Like, nobody does that. The question is why? Like, what's he, what's he getting after there? And we're going we're gonna to get after that here in just a second. So what does Jesus do with this, with this kid? So in verse 10 and 11, it says, Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place that men sat down, about 5,000 in number. 
Now, Jesus immediately, like his, his first reaction isn't to like, okay, all right, you go and you start the fire. You go and do this. You go do this, whatever else. He immediately initiates rest. He's like, hey, you guys have been walking? Sit down. Like, just take a, take a, take a knee. You know, have a breather. Like, one of the, the cool things about uh, being a chaplain is, like, when you go out to the field and you get these guys who've just been working and working and working and working and working, and, uh, like, when you show up, a lot of times you kind of have, you, if you are good at your job, you can kind of time it right to where you can kind of create that, that effect. And just, hey, man, just, just rest. Just take your top off, sit down, let's just take a breather. And that, like, absolutely is what, what Jesus is doing here. It's just like, hey, look, like, y'all have been, like, walking. You're going to Jerusalem. It's a long walk. There's all this, you know, stuff going on. You've been watching me, listening to me teach, whatever else. Just, just rest. That's his first kind of uh, reaction to, to meeting that need. So we are in verse 11. All right. Jesus then took, uh, took the loaves, and we had given thanks. He distributed, distributed them to those who were seated. And what a great example. So, like, Jesus could have been in, like, bibbidi-bobbidi-boo, like a bunch of food, like, and they, no, no big deal. But he doesn't. He stops and he takes uh, a, uh, a, a moment to actually give thanks for that as an example of, like, like he's always looking for where did this come from? Like, who's actually doing this? It's not going to be me. He's going to model that, that for us. And if we go back to, we just flip back to the, the previous chapter in John 3.30, or 5.30, not 3.30. Um, he'll say, like, um, I can do nothing on my own as I hear. I judge my judgment is just, but because I seek not my own, but the will of him who sent me. Is that, like, he, Jesus is sitting there modeling, like, this whole sermon in just, like, one thing by simply just giving thanks. He's just like... Look, here, we're going to meet this need, but it's not going to be me that's doing it. It's going to be my Father. And so that's something to take away from this, is that, like, whenever you're called in to, to meet, like, a heavy need, whenever you're called to pastor, like, a, effectively an 800-soldier church in eastern Poland, uh, like, it's not going to be you that, that, that actually shows up and actually gets anything done. Like, you guys are, are in, uh, we were in time, we were just talking about the most diverse uh, place in America right now. Y'all are rapidly changing. Like, you're... you're uh, whole demographics are changing. The way the socioeconomic structure is being shifted, moved around, like technology, uh, transportation infrastructure is really going to shape this whole area. Your church itself is like echoes of that. There's all this change and this, this turmoil and stuff like that. You're not going to be able to actually like stay on top of it if you are always like, ah, let me go, go to the, the kitchen here and whoop out all the food for all of Kent or whatever. You're always only going to have just some barley loaves. You're always only going to have just just some fish. Like you're always going to be behind the power curve and completely like you know, unable to actually meet the needs of, of the people that God's calling you to serve. And that's just life. That's just the way it is. But it's also super super cool because it, it, ultimately the person that is actually going to show up and actually going to do something is God Himself. It's not going to be you. And to where like you're going to do all this kind of crazy stuff and it's just going to be like, oh man, this, I can't believe that this worked out. You're not going to be able to stand up there and be like, well, I did that. It's always going to be God. And that's what's going to be super 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 cool uh, whenever it's all said and done, as we'll see here in just a minute. So uh, if we pick it up in, in uh, verse 12. Uh, we'll see God's powerful uh, provisions. Let me read verse 12 and 13 for us. And when they had gotten their fill, he told the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing uh, may be lost. And so they gathered them up and filled the 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves those eaten, uh, left by those who had eaten. So, like, notice the, the, the transition. Like, Philip's like, man, if we had all the money in the world, we couldn't buy enough food for these guys just to have a little. 
And Jesus was like, okay, watch this. And so he takes like, you know, some kids like sack lunch, and then that goes from being like, they, could, they couldn't even have a little, to all of a sudden they had their fill. They had more, more than enough. They had so much that they had had 12 baskets of just leftovers, which I would really like to know, where did those go? Like, what, what did they do with that afterwards? Because I think for me, I would have been like, this is some weird bread, man. Like, uh, like, <laughs> it's like some elven bread from Lord of the Rings or whatever. So, <laughs> yeah, but apparently they took it somewhere. And so, uh, so uh, Jesus was much more than we could actually have dreamed and asked for. So I, I, I'd ask you, like, what's your, what's your, your dream for, for New Hope? What's your dream for Kent? What's your dream for what the gospel can do to this area, what the gospel can do in your family's lives? What is your dream for what the gospel can do in your life? Because I guarantee you, whatever you can come up with, it's only so that way you can just get a little. You just cannot dream as big as God can actually do. And it's just like on repeat throughout all of Scripture. If you start paying attention to it, it's incredible. That like, you know, Phillips is just like, I don't know. You know, like whoop out the Amex and just go to town. Maybe everyone will get a saltine cracker at the end of this thing. And that's not what happens. Jesus is like, give me this kid's sack lunch, and we're going to turn around, and we're going to make it something big. So so big that we're going to have enough you know, food left over to carry with you to wherever else you go. And so I would ask you, like, you know, what's God do, uh, doing in your life now that lets you see like, how uh, God can show up in a, in a big, big way? And so I want to kind of wrap this, this whole thing up with just showing you the way that, I, that it did for me over this past year. So if you would hit the slide... All right, so that's inside that bunker. So let me tell you, like, kind of how this kind of progressed. So, like, I walk into this bunker. It's like, you can kind of see the old floor. It's all nasty and stuff. I'm pretty sure I'm going to have, like, nine kinds of cancer. Like, you're going to hear, like, you know, uh, like, the, the whole, like, uh, you know, Gulf War syndrome. You're going to have, like, the Sawalki Gap syndrome. It's going to be basically one chaplain dying of some weird stuff from this bunker. Um, and so, like, I, I walk in there, and I'm praying, like, like hey, God, like, this would be perfect. I think I can fit about 100 people in there. At the time in worship, we were running in the 60s to 70s, uh, and like I knew like the way stuff goes, it goes one or two ways. Like Either A, things start breaking down at home, and everybody wants to come find Jesus, or A, things start going, you know, like breaking down at home, and everybody goes and finds like Jim Beam, and then you don't see him anymore. Uh, and uh, I knew it was going to go one of those two ways. So I mean, we needed room to grow, all right? And I knew that like we would have room to grow in there. And... Um, and so I was just like, like, it would be really cool if you could give me the, this bunker and like, let me just you know, kind of like make this uh, like basically a church out of it, and, uh, or church building out of it, rather. And um, I was just like, I don't know to begin to how to do that. I mean, like, I don't know how much experience you guys have with like, you know, government procurement stuff, but like, I knew there was going to be like, this tall order of bureaucracy to actually get control of anything on there. And uh, the next day, I'm walking down, uh, you know, down the uh, the road because we lived on this long road. Anyways, and I run into our battalion XO, and, and he was just like, "Hey, is there anything I can do for you?" I'm like, "Yeah, you can give me that bunker over there." And he laughed. He's like, "Okay." And then like he left, and I was just like, "Yeah, well, that's probably not gonna go anywhere." And then the next day, he was like, "Yeah, the pole said you can have the bunker." And I was like, "What?" <laughs> I'm just like, "Okay." Uh, so I thought like, well, that was a really quick turnaround on that prayer. Uh, try to figure out how to do that on a more regular basis. And um, I, so then I was just like, okay, well, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to need, like, you know, infrastructure. Like, there's no power out there or anything else. And uh, so I, I go to my office, sit down, and this crazy dude shows up. And he's like, hey, I want to build dollhouses. And I was like, that's cool, man. What do you, what, where do I factor into, into this? And he just, uh, he wanted to, like, 
he had a long story, but he essentially he wanted to build stuff for the for the local poles. And I was just like, it just so happens that I really need like a floor built in this old bunker we we had just acquired like an hour ago. Uh, and so like if you let me try to figure out how I can get you the material, like you can build a way there. And then if we find find a way to build a dollhouse for somebody, and we eventually did, um, then we'll we'll let you we'll turn you loose. Well. The, the next thing that happens is, like, just a couple of hours later, I run into uh, this other guy who's like, hey, did you know there was, a, like, a, a big connex, there's a big storage container full of this derelict wood that the last rotation left? And I was like, really? And I, I was like, who owns it? And they're, they're, like, they're like, well, uh, nobody. And I was like, I own it now. And he's like, oh, good, good. And so, like, so I go and find a crazy dude, and I, I, we go out and look at this, this, uh, this you know, um, container full of wood and I was like hey can you use this and he's like oh chaplain this is the best wood ever and I was like I highly doubt that but like you know have at it so if you go to the next picture so there's the the floor kind of going in and uh the the guy that's standing on top of there uh there's like three or four of them that all got in trouble at the very beginning of a rotation they all got put on like in the army you get in trouble um like they just make you work more uh and so so, like, uh, I, I find out about, about this. I go down there, and I'm like, hey, I need, like, basically construction workers. And they're just like, all these guys are, like, construction workers. I'm like, sweet. And so I get, take them, give them the crazy guy with the wood, and off they go. They start building this uh, this floor that could support an Abrams tank. It was, like, really overbuilt. Uh, so go to the, the next picture. All right, and so that's what it looked like at the very end. So if you kind of look at this, like, looking uh, from the inside of that out, and you see all these uh, pews, and you see that their pulpit, like the, the pulpit was kind of like over the top crazy. He carved like God is love in there, and a big cross, and it was, it was supposed to be a present to me. It was really nice. And then uh, we actually ended up putting a, a wood fire stove. The uh, Air Force gave us a generator, and uh, we, we got some uh, lights on the local economy and set it up, and then that's where we, uh, we met at for the rest of the time. And then we were able to hand that over to the, to the next uh, group of guys as, as they came in. And the coolest part... Uh, about all of that is that um, on Christmas, the last uh, the last service that we had with everybody before we started redeploying, I was going through there and, and uh, we had we designed this whole like Christmas uh, candlelight service. And I uh, I took a Bible ver- well I didn't take I had my assistant take Bible verses and actually uh, tape them to these candles. Um, they're not your stereotypical like super cool you know very convenient Christmas uh, light, uh, Christmas you know uh, candlelight service candles, uh, but I think they're like something like off he got off of Etsy or something or another, and um, and he started I, he was like I need scripture so I just randomly printed out a bunch of scripture and I was like here take these and then uh, make little paper copies of them and tape them just like I have this one right here, and uh, we go through the whole whole thing. The whole service, and at the end of it, like we're kind of cleaning up, and I, and I had to have a candle to, to light things, uh, as you do in Christmas uh, candlelight service. And uh, I was like, I wonder what my uh, verse says. So it's First John 3:22. It says, "And whatever we ask of Him, we receive, because we keep the commandments and do what pleases Him." And I thought that was a pretty cool way for God to show up. And so I challenge you to like find the bunker in Kent, to find the bunker in New Hope and ask God to show up because he's in the business of doing it. And I don't care if all you've got is five barley loaves and uh, two fishes or a Lunchable or uh, an old derelict Nazi bunker that was supposed to get torn down. God specializes in taking the broken, 
taking the ill-fit, the ridiculous, and making it some of the coolest stuff and the coolest stories to, to push the gospel into areas that had never been there before. And that's the, the, the business that, that he's in. And the cool part is, is y'all are in this like major kind of like transitionary period and there's chaos and all this other kind of stuff and everything looks like it's like about to go completely sideways. It's totally ill-fit for, uh, for this big, robust, crazy, like, you know, successful church. But that's where God shows up and, and works the best in. And so I would, I'd challenge you as you uh, go home today, think about like, you know, like, we're, like, we're, you know, it, is God able to show up in uh, my life, in our church's life, in our family's life, in this community, and really make a difference for the gospel? And so, uh, I was supposed to say something, but I cannot remember what, the, what I was supposed to say.